um, I just thought, wow, this, this sounds like a part three. So I presented it to Brian. He says, yeah, sure, why not? Um, so here I am. Now, just, just in case you're wondering, yes, I have preached before. Uh, I once was a youth minister, and so you don't have to worry. And no, Kevin, I'm not after your job. Uh, as far as this workday is concerned, I will advise you, yes, please be careful. Um, just a cutting board, that's all it takes, so please be careful. So part three of whose side are you on can also be termed how to be a wise guy. Okay. Now, do, how many of you have children? Okay. How many of you have ever been children? Okay. And are there any teenagers here? Just a few. Okay. All right. And yeah, I see you. <laughs> you adults could put your hands down. You're not teenagers anymore, okay? But how many times have we always been asked why by our young children or our teenagers about whatever the case may be? Why is the sky blue? Why is the grass green? Why this? Why that? Why the other? And then, of course, when they get old enough, they start to ask why about whatever you want to tell them, okay? Hey, I want you to clean your room. Why? We have company coming. Why? Well, because I have friends. Why do you have friends? <laughs> and finally, what, do we, what is it that we always finally tell them in our frustration? Because I said so. <laughs> it's so true. But I'm going to tell you something. When it comes to the Word of God, it's because God said so. But I'll also say this much. It is okay to ask God why in some context. Okay, not everything. But, you know, sometimes you want to, want, want to know, God, why am I going through this difficulty in my life right now? Now, sometimes that question can be asked in a way that you shouldn't be asking why. But there are times when you just want to say, God, what is the lesson I'm to learn here? What am I supposed to know? What is, there, what is the greater purpose behind this? If you're asking in the right context, why can be a good question. Turn in your Bibles, if you will, to John chapter 3. This is a familiar set of Scripture. Most people can memorize verse 16. We're not going there today. We're going to verse 17. Because it's going to answer a question of why. Okay? In the NIV it says, For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. Now that's powerful. That's an incredible answer to the question, why? Now, let's put some context into this. Nicodemus, how many of you remember Nicodemus? Okay, he was quite a wise guy in this context. He asked a lot of whys to Jesus in this meeting in the dark of night. Now, a lot of people were going to rail on Nicodemus because he was a Pharisee and he was self-righteous and he was in amongst the council who was after Jesus Christ and everything else. But what I see in Nicodemus here is that he had an incredible curiosity about Jesus Christ. He wanted to know more. And when Jesus Christ, the first thing he said is, you must be born again. Why? And Jesus went on and continued answering some things. And Nicodemus continued to say, why? Well, actually, he would say, how can this be? That's in the King James. But sometimes the King James translates to why? Now, this is what I do like about the King James Version. Let's look at this verse in King James. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Now, that's amazing. In that Jesus Christ came to the world 
not to condemn you, but to save you. The ultimate why of the existence of Jesus Christ was to save you. So why does God love us? Is a good question. I think, I think we should, first of all, establish the fact that God loves you. D- does anybody doubt? You don't have to raise your hand. But does anybody doubt here in this building or those of you watching online, does anybody doubt that God loves you? Because I got news for you. God loves you. In Genesis 3, right at the fall, verse 14, So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. And he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Right here in this verse, the crucifixion. The redemption by Jesus Christ of you and me is foretold by God himself. Why does he do that? Because he created us. I ask you again, how many of you have children? How many of you love your children more than your own life itself? How many of you would lay your lives down for your children even though they continue to ask you why and drive you nuts? I know I would. I love my children dearly. Every last one of them. For those of you who don't know, yes, I do have 12 children. There is never a dull moment in my house. And we still get asked why, and that's okay. Sometimes I will answer a a good answer, and sometimes I will just say, because I said so. Or for those of you who, who, who ever watched The Mandalorian, I have spoken. But God created you and me. And because He created you and me, He loves you. He loves me. That parent's love and the love of God beyond a parent's love is why He loves you. Okay? It's just that yearning. You, you look back at the, at the story of Solomon when he, the, the two harlots were bickering over whose child was killed and whose, whose remained. And what did Solomon the wise do? He said, cut the child in half and give half to each other. Sometimes we do that as parents, don't we? Guilty. But what happened? The true mother, the real mother, whose heart was burning inside her for her own child, said, I'd rather give the child to another than see any harm come to him. And that's the love that God has for you and me. He wants to give that love to you and me. Now, I'll give you a little side story, okay? Uh, you, you may have guessed I served in the United States Marine Corps. And at one time, I was stationed on Andrews Air Force Base in Maryland. Now, imagine a squadron of Marines stationed at an Air Force Base. Okay? In, in fact, you know what happens when you put one Marine in an Air Force Base? You have a, a Marine Corps base with a bunch of airmen. Okay? But we had a neighbor across the street from us. And a, a young couple. And the, 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 the young lady... She admitted she hated children. Hated children. She just didn't like them. And then she gets pregnant. But she wasn't going to give up the child. She's ready to give birth, and she's still saying, I, I, I don't like children. And then she gives birth. And her heart 
completely changed. She ended up quitting her full-time job as a bank teller, making good money, staying home with her, her child, and then eventually starting a home daycare on the base. That's how much God's love does to a parent's heart. And that's how much God does in his own heart toward you and me. So the question is, if God redeemed us through Jesus Christ, why this way? It's, it's crazy, okay? You, you, you see a cross behind me, okay? And some people wear a cross around their neck. You know what I'd rather see around the neck instead of a cross? I'd rather see an empty tomb with a rolled away stone showing the completion of the resurrection. But think of it this way. In Psalm 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from the cries of anguish? Does that not sound familiar? Didn't Jesus Christ himself say that on the cross? Go down to verse 8. He trusts in the Lord, they say. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him, since he delights in him. Think about the Pharisees and what they would say about Jesus Christ while he was hanging on the cross, redeeming those right down there who were mocking him. He's redeeming them. My mouth is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of death. He's thirsty. Psalm 22 is foretelling the crucifixion. They will proclaim, verse 31, his righteousness, declaring to a people yet unborn, he has done it. He has done it. Or what is another way of saying it? It is finished. I invite you this week to read through Psalm 22 to see and picture in your own mind's eye the crucifixion and meditate on that to see the cruelty of the cross behind it and how much Jesus Christ, who could have rescued himself, and how he stayed there on the cross. It wasn't a set of nails that kept him there. It was his own love for you and me that kept him on the cross. And go to Mark 15. Verse 31 says, In the same way the chief priests and the teachers of the law mocked him among themselves. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. Verse 34, And at the, the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Fulfilling the prophecy that he took and set in motion by inspiring the writer of Psalm 22. Can you imagine writing your own predictable death into somebody's heart? In John 19, verse 28, later, knowing that Jesus had been finished, uh, had, 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 that everything had now been finished, and so that Scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it and put the sponge on a stalk and, uh, of the hyssop plant and lifted it to Jesus' lips. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, It is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. I think these last few words are very telling. He did not die. Life was not taken from him. He gave it up. He redeemed. So why this way? I'm going to tell you something. Why this way? The cruelty of the cross is how you and I deserve it. It's how you and I should have been treated, not Jesus. That is why. And it's incredible when you think about how much 
We deserve the punishment. But have any of you ever seen sheep and, and cattle and other animals being led to slaughter so that you and I can eat? Okay? It's, it's not a pretty sight. Okay? But think of it this way. The sheep being led to slaughter. Jesus Christ is a good shepherd, right? What did he do? He decided to come down to this earth and become a sheep and step right in front of everybody else and say, hold it, guys, I got this. And he went to the slaughterhouse even though he wasn't worthy of it. And all the sheep did no longer have to be slaughtered. So why did he do this? He did this to prove his unflinching, unfailing, unfathomable love for you and me. So yes, you can ask why. And this is an answer right here. Why was it this way? And you know, there's another question. God Almighty, when he pulled the people out of the, out of the land of Egypt and brought them out of slavery and took them into the wilderness, you think to yourself, well, why should I, now that I've been set free, why should I follow God? Why should I be his disciple? Has anybody ever told you that the life of, of a Christian is boring or dull or I don't get to, de- get to do the things I want to or things along those lines? So why should I? I'll tell you why. Take a look at Exodus 20. The first commandment, he says this in verse 2, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. I'll tell you why. Because you've been given new life. You have been given freedom. You did not earn it. There's nothing you could have done to earn it. But it was given to you as a gift. No strings attached. So could you not then love the person who set you free? Could you not have returned that love? Okay, Some people think that God is this big cosmic killjoy and takes away all your fun. Okay? I got news for you. If you want true joy, you don't want to follow the things of earth. You want to follow Jesus Christ. Okay? Look at the big picture. Look at the farthest thing down the road. Look at the eternity ahead of you. And Jesus Christ has filled you with a life of joy. Okay? So why so elaborate, by the way? Okay? Think of it this way. Go back to the Old Testament. All right? Aren't you glad, by the way, that you don't have to bring turtle doves and pigeons and uh, sheep and big red heifers and everything to church? Okay? Um, Have any of you ever dealt with a red heifer? They're pretty sizable. And they're rather obstinate. Okay? And have you ever tried to capture a bird? They're pretty quick. I mean, we got a little beagle in the house. And I tell you, you reach down to take her, and uh-uh, she's gone. She's quick. You try to take any animal that thinks they may be in danger, and guess what? They're going to fly, even if they can't fly. Numbers 19 talks about what needs to be done with the red heifer. Okay? Uh, think of it this way. In verse 2, this is a requirement of the law that the Lord has commanded. Tell the Israelites to bring you a red heifer without defect or blemish and that has never been under a yoke. Give it to Eleazar the priest. 
It is to be taken outside the camp and slaughtered in his presence. Then Eleazar the priest is to take some of its blood on his finger and sprinkle it seven times toward the front of the tent of meeting. Have you ever, has anybody ever lived on a farm and slaughtered any kind of animals? Okay. We used to have chickens a long time ago. And when it was time to turn the roosters into roasters, Mary would take the kids on a trip because they didn't want to be around that. Okay. It's not pretty. In fact, it's gross. Now, imagine this sacred ceremony. Eleazar the priest standing in his priestly garments, and they're going to take this massive red heifer, and the first thing they're going to do is slaughter it. Is it a pretty sight? It is not. Okay? But go back to Isaiah 64. All of us have become one who, like one who is unclean, and all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. We shall all shrivel up like a leaf, and, the wind our, and, and like the wind, our sins will sweep us away. So why so elaborate of all of these ceremonies that God put forth? I'll tell you why. And this is a good answer, a good question, actually. I don't know about the good answer because it came from me, not from the Scripture. But think of it this way. You cannot save yourself. And the red heifer was one of the most sacred of the ceremonies. The red heifer was one of those where the, the uncleanness was being washed away, and it was incredibly elaborate. But all of that elaborate, all of the, 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 the ceremony, all of the gold and the brass and the, 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 the instruments that they were using and the ephods that they were wearing, everything that was going on still proved you got to do it again next year. And you keep got to keep doing it. And every time you do something wrong, guess what? Better bring at least a per- turtle dove or a pigeon. You cannot save yourselves. The sacrifices were only a representation, a foretelling of what Jesus Christ was going to do once and for all. Okay? So why were they so elaborate? So that they could prove that you, on your own power, with your own ceremonies that God ordained, weren't good enough. Now, how many of you ever stood before God and said, I'm not good enough? How many of you ever felt that you're not good enough? You don't have to raise your hands. There are days when you think, I am not good enough. And you know what? You are absolutely right, at least when it comes to saving yourself. But Jesus Christ said to me, you are good enough, and I'll pay the price for you. Okay? Anybody ever walked up to Panera or McDonald's or wherever, and you, "Uh uh-oh, forgot my wallet. And somebody behind you says, don't worry about it. I'll take take care of it for you. That's a pretty good feeling, isn't it? Well, imagine you going before God and reaching into your pockets. If those white robes have pockets. Do they have white pockets? I don't know. And you think, uh-oh, I don't have what it takes for, to pay for me to be here. And what does Jesus Christ do? He punches that ticket. Paid for. Here you go. So another question is, why bother? Why bother? And this is something I think is just, it's it's amazing that we have to understand. In Luke 13, now there were some present at the time who told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate mixed with their sacrifices. Jesus answered, do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered this way? I tell you no, but unless you repent, you too will all perish. 
Or those 18 who died when the tower in Siloam fell on them, do you think that they were more guilty of all the others in Jerusalem? I tell you no. But unless you repent, you too will all perish. You see, it's not possible without God's help. Your righteousness is never going to be good enough. You get people that say, well, I think, you know, I'll stand before God and I didn't kill and I didn't cuss too much and I didn't hate that many people and, 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 and I, I was a good person most of the time. But even if you led what you think is a perfect life, you were born in sin, you were conceived in sin and there's nothing you can do to save your own soul because even if you paid the price, you couldn't overcome it like Jesus Christ did by rising from the dead on your own power. You see, the grave had no power over Jesus Christ because what is death? It's the wages of sin. Jesus had no sin. Therefore, death could not hold him. But death can hold you because you have been born in sin. Now, does that mean that you have to live a life of sin? Absolutely not. But it's impossible without the help of God. Without Jesus Christ dying on the cross and rising again, it is impossible. How many of you ever asked the question, why me? I know I have. And, and you can ask that question in several different contexts, but this one I think is, is very important to understand. God, why did you save me? And I'll tell you why. Romans 5, verse 7 says, Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Now, I got news for you. God loves all of you. God loves every single person on this earth, even the worst of the worst. The absolute worst. Think of the worst person in your own mind's eye in history, and Jesus Christ still died for him or her. Period. End of discussion. That is the way God is. He created all of us, and he loves all of us. And he loves each one of you as if you were the only one he created. And that's how he had chosen you. That's why. Because he loves you. And in, in the purest of love. So once you've taken on that love, once you've been forgiven, once you have, have been set free, the question is, what now? What now? What do I, what do, I do now? Okay? Did anybody ever see the old movie uh, that was done on Pilgrim's Progress? It was like a late 60s, early 70s rendition. Okay, you should, actually. It's pretty good. But back when we had reel-to-reel -reel movie films, you know, the kind of... You remember those? Okay. I'm watching this, and the movie stops halfway through as Pilgrim's pack falls off and rolls down the hill while he's kneeling at the cross. And I thought, that was a great movie. And the, the, the leader gets up and says, okay, while we change films and go to the second reel, we're going to take a short break. And I'm thinking, wait a minute, there's more? 
And you know what? There is. There is more. After the life of Christ has been set free in your own soul, there is more. John 8, verse 2. At dawn he appeared again. This is a pretty uh, familiar set of verses. In the temple courts, where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law of Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now, what do you say? Now, you know what my question is? Last time I checked, it takes two to tango. Where's the dude? Now, that's me. That's because I'm not God. Aren't you glad I'm not God? Okay? I know I'm glad I'm not God because I don't think I would be just. But see, God himself come down in the flesh in the form of Jesus Christ has a better mindset than that. They were using this as a question to trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, Let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Now, that's powerful. Is there anybody here in this room or online that is without sin? I don't see any hands up. Good. So you have no right to accuse someone of sin when you have sin in your life. Let's bear that in mind. Be careful about how you accuse. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir. This is powerful here. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. That shakens me. The one who was without sin, who could have cast the first stone, chose not to. Why? Because he loved even her. And yes, she was caught in the act of adultery, likely trapped, but she was caught. She truly was guilty. And yet, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, who could have picked up a stone, who could have picked up the entire pile of stones... What did he say? I don't condemn you either. Now just go and leave your life of sin. So what now? For those of you who have been set free by the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has overcome sin, death, hell, and the grave, leave your life of sin. You are now free to live that life free of sin. You are free to live a righteous life, not a self-righteous life. Let's be clear about that because Jesus condemned the self-righteousness of the Pharisees, which is as great a sin as anything else. It's an arrogance that says, I can do it myself. No, you can't. Jesus said, you can do it only through my power. And so therefore, you must be free from your life of sin once I have set you free. And so if you've been set free, whose side are you on?
the one who imprisoned you at the garden, who's a snake running around on his belly, or it should say slithering around. He doesn't run. If you see a snake run, you probably should run too. Or are you going to be on the side of the one who set you completely free, completely free from the power of sin? John eight thirty six. If the Son, therefore, shall make you free, ye shall be free indeed. So when you ask God why, the Word of God says so. And is not Jesus Christ the Word made flesh and dwelt among us? And therefore, the answer is simple to the question of why, because God said so. Can I get an amen? amen. Jesus loves you. This I know. For the Bible tells me so. Little ones to Him belong. They are weak, but He is strong. Stand with me. Holy, holy, holy Lord God Almighty, we thank you that you have come to this world and given us new life and set us free. Help us now, Lord, now that we are free, to not only know that the answer to the question why has been answered, but that we will join you at your side to live that life free of sin. In Jesus' name, amen.